Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. I want to show you a piece of art. I don't always show you pieces of art from 130 years ago, but this is one by Nikolai Gah or Degas, and it's a picture that he calls What is Truth? Pontius in Christ. And in this picture, you see Pontius Pilate, big, strong back, tall, has the bowl cut that would look awfully cool in the mid-90s or high fashion for the Roman imperial age. And then you see a Jesus shrouded in darkness, more or less rags, not quite meeting Pontius Pilate's eye, not quite sitting with him, but rather looking on to another kingdom. And this Nicolas Gay, his friend was Leo Tolstoy, a three-time Nobel Prize, Nobel Prize winner, wrote Anna Karenina and War and Peace, maybe the greatest writer of all time. And when his friend saw this picture for the first time, he remarked this, said, there can be no peace between Christ and the world. This is true to history, and it's true to our own day. And Tolstoy is right. Jesus did not come to make peace with the world as is. Jesus came to redeem us from the world and then give us peace on Jesus' terms, not ours and not the terms of this world. I don't usually highlight art history paintings, but this painting is moving. If we could flip it back up there, I want you to notice something about it. The artist has carved a single beam of light cutting across the floor. It's the brightest thing in the whole picture to highlight exactly what Tolstoy was talking about. That there is no partnership between the world and Christ. There is no peace between the world and Christ, but a bright line of light. And this narrative shows us what it means to cross that line. Pilate will be unwilling. But I pray all who hear my words would be deeply willing. This line is a line that says that we must receive Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the only sacrifice for sins. We must crown Jesus as King, the only ruler of our life. And we must accept Jesus as the truth, the only truth there's ever going to be. And we look and jump in, the setting is changing again. They're leaving the high priest's house and they're moving on to the Roman palace. Look with me in verse 28. When the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas's to the palace of the Roman governor, by now it was early morning, so they had this false trial through the night and now they're making it up to the governor's house now that they're open for business. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover later that night. And the irony is an intentionally is intentionally thick here. The Jewish leaders want to be able to eat that Passover lamb with their families tonight, so they're unwilling to become ceremonially unclean by entering this Roman secular palace. And the Passover celebrates and remembers when God passed over the Jewish households in Egypt when the Jews were enslaved by Pharaoh. See, what happened is the people had been crying out to God. 
the Jewish nation enslaved under his brutal rule had cried out to God and cried out to God. And God finally answered them with Moses to come and confront Pharaoh to say, let these people go. Let them go worship their God in another country. But Pharaoh wouldn't listen. And so plague after plague after plague after plague came all the way to the 10th plague, each plague getting more and more severe. And the 10th plague went like this. Look with me at Exodus 11. It said, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or will ever be again. The Passover was not some light thing. In fact, it was maybe the most terrifying thing that anyone in their collective memory could ever recall. It is absolutely shocking, terrifying, scary to think of every, virtually every household in an entire country of millions having death come to it because of the evil of their leader oppressing a people and not letting them go. But we must remember what the Bible teaches, that the penalty for all sin is death. So this plague is unsurprising, that death comes from sin, and sin always brings death. Yet God instructs the Jewish households to do something different so that God will pass over those households and spare their firstborn son. Look with me at Exodus 12. God told them, the lamb you choose must be a year old males without defect, must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where you eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire. And this is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, eat in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance or practice. This is that day. Fast forwarding to Jesus's time. Today is the day of the Passover where they celebrate God passing over the Jewish households that put the blood on the door by faith that they would be passed over. Death would not strike them. The penalty of sin would not be exacted upon them. And in the same stroke, they would be freed from slavery, that they would be released from the power of Pharaoh in Egypt. In one moment. 
The point was never in the thousands of years in between here, the animal they sacrificed. Our God was not hungry then. Our God is not hungry now. Our God will not be hungry in the future. The lamb was always pointing to Jesus, the true lamb of God. The Lamb of God that as John the Baptist says in John 1.29, they start this gospel and close this gospel with the same idea. That John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Church, Jesus was born for this moment of his arrest, false trial, talk with Pilate, and death. Jesus has always been moving towards this point. And Jesus is about to be splattered on the doorframe. But instead of a doorframe for one household, it's a cross for God's household. Of all people, of all time, to have Jesus' blood wiped up and down so that we would be passed over. And the irony becomes thicker as these people are so concerned about not being unclean so that they can go celebrate the Passover, they're missing the lamb itself is finally here. The beam of light between Jesus and Pilate to cross it means you trust Jesus alone and nothing else for the forgiveness of your sins. Not traditions, not things in your family, not things you've learned, but rather trust Jesus alone, the only Lamb of God. The world prefers easy religion. Easy religion is this. Do these things, not these things, and you'll be okay with God. Here's some rules. Just do your best. Follow them, and God will approve of you. Well, that's not the Bible. And that's not Jesus. Jesus' gospel relies not on our own efforts, but rather on the effectiveness of Jesus' blood to save you. Ephesians 1.7 puts it this way. It says, In Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. It is the blood on that cross that saves you and nothing else. Well, that's, uh, that's easy to say. It's very uncomfortable to let it settle in your heart that Jesus saves bad people. Jesus saves relatively good people. Jesus saves all types of people, but He only saves them by His sacrifice, not our goodness. So Jesus stands on the other side of this beam of light, and salvation is free, but you must stop trusting the world. To come to Jesus. Look with me in verse 29. Here comes Pilate. So Pilate came out to them. He's like coming out on the balcony since they won't come in the palace. He's out on the balcony, big crowd. And he's asked and asked, what are the charges you're bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Basically, trust us. You should kill this guy. Pilate said, take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. And this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. See, when the Romans conquered a people, as they had conquered Judea, they took away the death penalty from the local people. It was the ultimate power move to say, we're the only people who gets to decide who dies in this place now. 
So any offense that reached capital punishment had to be litigated or decided by the Roman official there. So the Jewish leaders are saying, we want this man killed and you have to do it. But Pilate, you see here, is suspicious. He doesn't want to pass out death penalties lightly. lightly. Why? Is he a just man? No, he doesn't want to start like a counter riot. He doesn't want more problems. He's a leader who looks at problems as problems instead of his place to solve them. Verse 33, take a look at what happens next. Pilate went back inside the palace. You can imagine it kind of like that picture. There's this talk happening between him and Jesus. Maybe there's some guards around. He summoned Jesus and asked him, are you king of the Jews? That's the reason that the Jewish leaders have supplied He claims to be king, Pilate. That's why he needs to die. Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus gives this roundabout answer on purpose because he's trying to point out, do you think I'm a king or did they just tell you that I'm a king? Because either way, you're going to misunderstand what is meant. This crowd is trying to manipulate you, Pilate. It's trying to trick you into seeing me as a rival or a threat because while I am a king, he's King Jesus. It's not the same sort of king that is entering Pilate's mind. And keep in mind, Pilate despised the Jewish people. He was a terrible ruler. He was brutal. When riots came up under his negligence, he would uh, offend their customs. He didn't learn their ways. He started trouble everywhere he went. And his answer was always just be more brutal to the people. So he was widely hated. And at this point in Pilate's career, he was kind of on his last leg that he might get his governorship taken away since things had gone so poorly. So Pilate tries another way. Well, if you aren't king, what is it that you did? And Jesus replies in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then. Jesus says his kingdom isn't like this province of Judea, which Pilate rules. It's not a kingdom like the emperor Tiberius of Rome, who's currently reigning over the empire. Because if it was like that, then there would be a fight today. There would be a war today if two nations, political nations, were clashing over their leader. And as Pilate shouts, you're a king then, it just highlights Pilate's confusion over the whole matter. We are to see Pilate as a desperate man, as probably a selfish and greedy man, but also a man who's pretty confused about everything going on today. And his confusion here is highlighted by why isn't Jesus begging for his life? Instead, Jesus is popping questions back to him, making quizzical statements about his kingdom being from a different place. And Pilate's a man that's probably seen hundreds, maybe thousands of people beg for their life before him as governor, and before that as a commander, and before that as a soldier. And here's a man who seems ready to die, who's not fighting anything, he's not acknowledging the charges. The rumors have probably already reached Pilate, 
Remember, his soldiers went and arrested Jesus last night. The rumors that they all fell down when Jesus announced himself probably have hit his ears. He's probably wondering Jesus' miracles, were they magic? What's about to happen next? He's probably heard about the high priest's servant, Malchus. His soldiers were there. That Jesus picked his ear off the ground and healed him just then. So at this point, Pilate's a little scared too. He's not sure what's going on this day. By Jesus affirming he's king, yet choosing to let death come to him, it bewilders and bothers Pilate further. Pilate's whole life has been about survival and power and using that power to rule. Pilate's not from here. He's an Italian. He moved up the chain of command in the Roman Imperial Army, the greatest nation on earth at the time. He likely married the granddaughter of Caesar Augustus, who was the previous emperor before Tiberius, which is the reason he got this job. Nepotism has sent him to the far fling of the empire, and he's overwhelmed, probably in a bad spot and about to lose his job. So Jesus is speaking of a kingdom, but not of earthly power, and it baffles Pilate. In this kill or be killed world, Jesus seems unconcerned about his own life. And all these Jewish leaders who are usually against Pilate, usually kind of tolerating Pilate, or, or not wanting to be around Pilate, or doing things against Pilate, suddenly are saying, hey man, we're doing you a favor. You can kill this rival king. Just off him. Just get him out of here. It'll be great for all of us, which probably unsettles Pilate all the more when your enemies show up as friends and ask you to do their dirty work. Yet this King Jesus seems willing to die. What king dies for his people? Only King Jesus dies for his people. It feels so foreign to Pilate, but also... To us, where everything in life is a give and take. You work real hard to get money. You use that money to pay the rent and buy the groceries. You help someone with the hope that they'll help you back. We pay taxes to help the roads stay built and the schools stay open and the military to defend our country. And as long as we have this give and take mindset, it will be tough to see that Jesus' loving rule is free. And it's about what he gives to us, not about what we give to him that no one's paying for the cross. Instead, he's giving it for free. That's that beam of light that you can only have it Jesus' way. He's a king of a different kind that says, my rule, my kingship in your life is not a kill or be killed world, but it's a Matthew 11, 28 through 30 world. This is what Jesus says, what it's like to live under his kingship. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you hear that Jesus is gentle and lowly? He's powerful, but not in the way of a military leader who lords it over you and wants you to beg for your life. Instead, he's gentle and lowly and invites you to a place where the yoke, like an animal, is light. The work is easy. 
Is it difficult to follow Christ? Absolutely. But is it good? Is it gentle? Does the king love you? That's something Pilate cannot understand. As long as we resist Jesus' loving kingship, we will remain confused about Jesus' kingdom. As long as we resist Jesus' loving kingship, we will remain confused about his kingdom. Jesus is not someone to compete in power with. Jesus is not someone to bargain with. Jesus is someone to submit to. And there's no other way to cross the light from this world to Jesus' rule. Look with me as Jesus continues to be mysterious to Pilate and Pilate continues to be nervous. Verse 37, Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? Retorted Pilate. Pilate's not looking for an answer. Instead, mocking that anyone would appeal to something like truth when you could just have power. You could just climb higher. You could just push others around and down. He has no place for truth. If we have no place for truth, we have no place for Jesus. Because Jesus claims universal truth and hints how his kingdom works. That His kingdom is not political, but invisible. And it lives through the obedience of kingdom servants who live in the kingdom by listening to the King Jesus. Jesus is the truth himself. And the only way to cross that line of light is to take Jesus up on his offer in John 14, 6 that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through me. And watch how this truth suddenly changes for all the people in the story. All the people in the story claim to be people who are motivated by the truth. They want to kill Jesus because it says we should kill those who claim to be God in the Old Testament. We should kill this man because he wants to be a good ruler. That's the truth of Pilate. Use your power to keep the empire going at all costs. But look in the scene how suddenly the truths of those Jewish leaders and the truth of Pilate will actually crumble in the face of just a little bit of pressure. And suddenly we see a Jesus shining ever brighter on that other side of the beam of light. That he's a truth that never changes. Look with me in verse 38. It says, with this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate says, this man is not guilty, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Pilate said his truth that Jesus is not guilty, yet Pilate doesn't let him go because he fears the crowd. Because he fears another riot. He fears losing his job. So truth for Pilate is whatever the crowd thinks today. Truth for the Jewish leaders who are so concerned about Old Testament laws that they won't enter the Roman palace 
They claim that their truth is the Old Testament and they're truly following God, yet they ignore the Ten Commandments when it comes to Barabbas. Because here it says he took part in an uprising, but if you look at all the Gospels, it says Barabbas is actually a murderer. He's actually an insurrectionist that was orchestrating the uprising, that killed a guy in the uprising. And Barabbas is a murderer, and to put it more plainly, he's a terrorist. Suddenly the Ten Commandments don't matter. And they're down to release the murder and not Jesus. Their truth is ever shifting as well. The truth shifts for Pilate on the wills and approval of the crowd. The truth shifts for Jewish leaders who use their Bible as a weapon to enforce what they want and ignore it when it's convenient. Suddenly the Ten Commandments don't matter, but just getting Jesus does. So I want to return to the picture from earlier. I just want to ask us some questions as a church. Is people coming? Do you want to cross that line of light to leave the world's world's ways and join and follow Jesus' kingship? Do you see your great need for a Savior to pass over your sins? More so to even forgive your sins, to absorb it, that that blood on the doorframe, the cross, is blood for you. Do you see your great need for bedrock truth that doesn't shift? All of us claim to be rational and logic, but often our truth, our bedrock truth that we build our house on is much more emotional. It's tradition, it's family, it's money, it's all sorts of things. And if we build our life, our house on anything other than Jesus, we build it on sand. We will bend to the will of the crowd, the changes of our culture. When convenient, use the Bible as a weapon. We're no better than Pilate or the crowd, but we need the bedrock of Jesus, the internal truth. Because if you take Jesus as Savior and truth, I invite you to crown him as king of your life. Jesus is already the king of the universe, but will you by faith submit to him in every place in your life because he's the king you can trust. He's the only king that's ever died for his people. And he's the only one who has the right to lead your life. He's the only person who demands that you follow him and the demand is true. He created you. You were created for God and by God. So I invite you to come to the king that's gentle and lowly, that confidently can stand in the shadow and not defend himself, but rather die for you, resolute to the end, confusing to all, but ready for you. To be with Jesus is to have Jesus completely on his terms or not at all. And that's the line of light. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.